Alright. Bookworm Games 33. This is Sai Farewell. Uh, welcome everybody. I hope that there's a few people at least that are able to join this live. Um, for those who are not, I hope it is being recorded on Twitch and on Anchor as always. Uh, if not, I guess I can try it again. Because there needs to be an end to this Bookworm Games Earthbound series. Uh, and I thought that 33 was a good number for it, as I mentioned, because of the connection to Dante. And uh, also because I intend to keep going with other Bookworm Games series in the future. And so I didn't want it to, uh, to end on something that was too final but to be kind of a part of something bigger. Now, uh, normally I got my little script in front of me if I'm reading and lecturing on, on the game, but today I wanted to try to make this more of a conversation. And I've done seven of those so far with uh, friends and family. Uh, this conversation is a little different though, of course, because I don't have just one person that I'm talking to in Instead, I've got a, a broadcast, if, if this is working, which I hope it is. Um, and so in some sense, I'm talking to, to anybody and everyone. And I hope that you'll be sending in your questions and comments uh, over, the, over the course of this, this discussion. Um, if you aren't able to make it live and you do have questions, go ahead and send them in anyhow. Um, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitch now. Uh, through my blogs, this and that, uh, and I'll try to get back to you. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about the Apple of Enlightenment and its role in the game. Uh, for one thing, it's, uh, it's spoken of from the very start of the game. Uh, Buzz Buzz mentions it when he arrives and, and confirms that you are the hero spoken of in that prophecy. That's his belief. And um, I believe uh, that the game bears him out. Um, because indeed you, as we saw in our last episode, uh, defeat Gigas and save the universe from cosmic destruction. Uh, whatever that is. So, uh, fr from the beginning of the game it is invoked. Uh, it appears time and again throughout your journey. Characters refer to it. Never is it um, identified with anything in the game that you can actually access and, and check. Uh, you never directly encounter the Apple of Enlightenment, although there is, of course, the Apple Kid. And so that's given rise, I guess, to a certain amount of theorizing about whether Apple Kid might be uh, actually the Apple of Enlightenment or, or in some way related to it. Um, so. Of course, like I usually do, I went ahead and tried to look some of this up. Um, and I'll go ahead and, and share my screen here. And I'm just going to show you online here. Oh, maybe it went away. Uh, I had a nice... Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah, a nice web page open. The Legends of Localization. That's that book that I've been referring to a lot. Uh, it's also got a website, 
And so if you don't have the book, you can use that instead. And uh, here is the uh, relevant part of the game referenced. Um, I hope you can see this. Maybe I'll move it over a bit in case my camera's in the way or something. Uh, yeah, I guess that didn't really work. Oh, there we go. Okay, let's try that. So um, this is Clyde Mandolin. Uh, he says, Apple are superior machines. After defeating the, defeating the statue thingy, Ness is spoken to by Ness. In Earthbound, Meta Ness tells you the Apple of Enlightenment has foretold that Gigas' attempt will fail. In Mother 2, he literally says, the Apple of Wisdom, prophecy-telling machine, in Gigas' possession, has foretold that Gigas' machinations will end in failure. There are several important pieces here for diehard fans to take note of. The Apple of Enlightenment is called the Apple of Wisdom in Mother 2. The apple is currently in Geek's possession. The apple is a machine that gives prophecies. The English translation leaves out or changes this stuff, so hopefully this will shed some new light on what's up with the Apple of Enlightenment. I think this kills those theories that Apple Kid is the Apple of Enlightenment at least. And then there's a sticky out tongue face. Uh, so the uh, Apple of Wisdom uh, made me think, uh, and I guess the Apple of Enlightenment too, to an extent, made me think much more, uh, not of Apple Kid within the game, but of the story of the Garden of Eden uh, in the Bible. And um, it's had a huge effect on subsequent literature, and I know that it's uh, a little bit out there, but that's kind of what I do in this series. So uh, I'm going to read from that. Um, this is in Genesis. Three, here's the King James Version. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of that tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amidst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, 
I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So a longer reading, I guess, than sometimes here, but I think that's all, uh, as I said, super important for this project as a whole, as a way to connect Earthbound with uh, great works of literature. Um, this work, uh, this story of the fall, as uh, Tolkien says, I think, in his long letter to, to Waldman, um, the publisher, he says that every story is a story of the fall. It's either there or in... Yeah, I think it's there. Or maybe it's in the fairy stories essay. I don't know. Anyway, so I I think that that is one of the things, anyway, that Tolkien and Philip Pullman would probably agree upon. Because, of course, Philip Pullman's Golden Compass takes the story of the fall and retells it in a fantasy setting uh, uh, with, with a heavy uh, amount of attention to other retellings down through history, Blake's and Milton's uh, and Kleist's. Um, and so in the next series of Bookworm Games, I'm going to be focusing on Philip Pullman's book, uh, The Golden Compass, and uh, and then I guess we'll go from there. Um, but there's, there's a lot more in that series, uh, His Dark Materials, and I'd like to talk about all of those books eventually. Uh, so... So in some way, the, uh, the apple of, the en of enlightenment, the apple of wisdom, in, it, it connects, uh, it links, it forms the bridge between the end of this series and the start of the next one. Um, it is a story in the background of many, if not all, stories which uh, deal with the battle between good and evil, um, which takes place not only uh, in uh, the transition between innocence and experience there in the Garden of Eden um, at the beginning of time, but in some sense in every person's life growing up, every individual, uh, perhaps even every institution or community also undergoes such a process of, of growth and development, uh, of realization, of awakening. And that is apparently uh, what the word enlightenment um, kind of is used to translate in, in a Buddhist context. Uh, I'm not real literate when it comes to Buddhism, but um, I went to my go-to source for things that I don't know about, and that's Wikipedia. And so I'll just read a little bit from the start of that uh, st short article here. Uh, 
Uh, enlightenment in Buddhism, according to Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. For other uses, see enlightenment, disambiguation. I love those disambiguation pieces. All right, so the English term enlightenment is the Western translation of the term bodhi, awakening, which was popularized in the Western world through the 19th century translations of Max Muller. It has the Western connotation of a sudden insight into a transcendental truth. The term is also being used to translate several other Buddhist terms and concepts used to denote insight, pranjna, kensho, and satori, knowledge, vidya, the blowing out, nirvana, of disturbing emotions and desires, and the subsequent freedom or release, vimutti, and the attainment of Buddhahood, as exemplified by Gautama Buddha. What exactly constituted the Buddha's awakening is unknown. It may probably have involved the knowledge that liberation was attained by the combination of mindfulness and dhyana, applied to the understanding of the arising and ceasing of craving. The relation between dhyana and insight is a core problem in the study of Buddhism and is one of the fundamentals of Buddhist practice. In the Western world, the concept of spiritual enlightenment has taken on a romantic meaning, has become synonymous with self-realization and the true self and false self being regarded as a substantial essence being covered over by social conditioning. All right, well, so one other thing I'd note here uh, in the image for Buddhism, uh, you've got the eight-spoked wheel, which reminds me a lot of the image of the soundstone in Earthbound, actually, with its eight um, directional uh, points around in the eight images that the, the light of, of attention or spirit or whatever it is bounces around the, uh, the wheel clockwise in turn while the, uh, the melody plays. Um, so anyhow, Apple of Enlightenment uh, is in Earthbound this prophecy-telling machine. It seems to have some resonance with the Garden of Eden story, um, the temptation and fall of man, which is so central to the Christian myth, but also uh, to the Eastern... Buddhist traditions of, um, of overcoming uh, false uh, sensory uh, delusions, uh, dreams, um, uh, desires, and acquiring insight, knowledge, um, how did it go, and the attainment of Buddhahood, all right? But it's a sort of mysterious thing, uh, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I had wanted to, um, I'd really wanted to get my brother on the show, Elliot, because he is uh, pretty versed in, in meditation, uh, and I'd wanted, I wanted to ask him about some of, some of those things around the time when, when in the game, I think we were getting to uh, meet Prince Pooh and, and his whole experience at the place of Mu, where he's meditating and has to overcome temptation and face um, the nothingness, right? The, the specter of death, of of losing senses, uh, power, and and ultimately his his life, um, his mind even. Um, sorry, I just want to check and see if my recording is still working here. Oh boy, yeah, it seems to be going okay. All right, sorry. Um, so. Uh, Further thoughts on the Apple of Enlightenment, uh, its role as a bridge between this and the next series on Golden Compass, between Western and Eastern mythologies, um, and uh, 
all of that, I, I would certainly appreciate um, if you want to send those thoughts in or, or further questions about it before I go on. I, I do see that the chat has, has got a few things in it. Okay, so this comes from uh, Stephanie. Thanks, the Spef. I want to know more about Pokey. Are his motivations realistic? Did you suspect he would have such a big role? Is her first question there. Her second question, um, if Apple Kid is related to the Apple of Enlightenment, what role does Orange Kid play? Okay, some awesome questions. Uh, thanks for those. So, to the first one. I didn't suspect Pokey would play such a big role, um, if, if, as far as I can remember, uh, in, the, in the first time that I played this game. Um, I didn't really have much idea about anything that was going on in the game when I first played it, um, much less tracking uh, a relative, seemingly relatively minor character from the very beginning of the game uh, who would sort of annoyingly pop up from time to time <laughs> um, and taunt me on my adventures. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely didn't uh, foresee that he would become so formidable in the final battle against Gigas, and I had really uh, no idea what was going on in that battle as a kid playing this game. Um, it is only much later now that I, I've been able to kind of think through some of the incredible uh, dramatic events um, surrounding that, that climactic fight against Gigas and Pokey and think about how he is a kind of uh, meditation on the nature of evil. Now, um, he is, of course, your next-door neighbor, and I've always had a real fascination with the concept of neighbors and neighborhood. Um, my close closest friends growing up were all my neighbors. They're older kids, and uh, I really looked up to them. And they kind of got me into playing uh, video games in the first place. Um, some of my next door neighbors um, lived with their grandma for a while there. Uh, she lived next door to us, and they lived with her for a while, and um, got me playing um, Super Mario World and. Final Fantasy II on the Super Nintendo, and that was really kind of, along with the neighbors around the corner who played Tetris and um, the original Final Fantasy on NES, right, they were, they were kind of the ones who got me into playing video games and um, reading books for that matter, you know, uh, and telling stories when we would ride the bus to school, like all that stuff, it, and playing hide and seek. So these were neighbors that I looked up to, and so in that respect, I guess you could say that I, I would identify mostly with Picky, the younger brother of Pokey, who look, who seems to look up to Ness quite a bit um, and to be kind of like him, uh, although he's young, uh, Picky is younger than Ness and, and Pokey. Um, and um, as far as Pokey's motivations, I think that, uh, again, the, the comments on the translation that uh, Clyde Mandolin gives are pretty helpful in this respect. Apparently in the Japanese text, uh, there's a lot more references to how abusive Pokey's parents actually are um, and how badly they treat him and Picky. Um, and so from a sort of uh, trauma-inducing perspective, uh, they in some way could be a kind of explanation for why he is the way he is. Um, although he lives right next door to Ness, who of course is the hero, um, the person everyone looks up to, right, and wants to be like, um, his, his home situation is, is really different, apparently, from Ness's. Uh, in place of the love that Ness's parents show him, his dad uh, over the phone, of course, but his mom right there uh, all the time, and his dog and his brother. 
Um, in place of all that, Pokey gets uh, apparently uh, verbal and physical abuse, uh, and and has a um, a really sort of smarmy way about him. He tries to um, sweet talk people. Uh, you see this from the very start of the game, but then underneath that, he has um, a really um, a mean streak. Uh, he, he threatens to say something cutting if you don't help him with his brother, uh, finding his brother at the very opening of the game, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I think his motivations are uh, pretty well grounded. Uh, he's obviously a bit over the top in how uh, amusingly evil he is, um, stealing helicopters and crashing them in rainforests and whatnot. But, um, but on a metaphorical level, yeah, he's he's extremely uh, realistic. I I certainly have a voice like that in my head uh, that I have to deal with. And um, as far as the Apple Kid and Orange Kid question, uh, Orange Kid is another sort of comic relief character. Primarily, he's kind of a red herring, an orange herring. He uh, he seems like the obvious choice when you're given the option of which of the two inventor kids to fund when you first get to Tucson, because he seems to have his house in order. Uh, kind of literally, it's all clean. Uh, he has these uh, girls who hang out outside and, and talk about how great he is and seem to really admire him, um, as opposed to the apple kid who they call uh, really, really gross and dweeby and whatnot. Um, Orange kid uh, even looks a bit more like your um, your future friend uh, Jeff, who you haven't met yet at that point in the game, but um, th there's a kind of resemblance between the two characters, which is interesting. Uh, so Orange Kid is, um, yeah, I would say he he appears to be just what you would want in an inventor, and yet it turns out that it's all sort of a facade. Um, whereas Apple Kid, for all his slovenliness and unkemptness, uh, and neediness uh, turns out to be a, a truly brilliant inventor, very curious, very interested in learning about new people, as we see when he's kidnapped and meets the Mr. Saturns uh, and gets to, um, and he's over there in the first place because he's trying to uh, learn from Dr. Andonuts, Jeff's father, in Winters, uh, which of course is where Stonehenge is located. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, so I, I would stress again, it's not that he is explicitly related to the Apple of Enlightenment, but there's a kind of wordplay there where his name certainly would make you think of it. Um, and uh, I always think that that sort of thing is kind of important, whereas it seems like Clyde Mandolin wants to point out that uh, in terms of the plot, the, you know, the, the nitty-gritty details of the thing, uh, Apple Kid is not related to the Apple of Enlightenment. And I would say, well, because of his name, at least... In, in the reader, in the player's mind, he, he's got to be related. There's got to be some association there, which is worth um, thinking about. So yeah, uh, and then, okay, so Steph's got another question here. She said, yeah, that's neat. The eight pegs on the wheel and the soundstone. You needed the eight soundstones to ultimately time travel and be a robot. How is that related to reincarnation? Okay, so I guess there's um, a teaching um, in, the, uh, in the Hindu religion from which Buddhism emerged um, in terms of historical uh, religious movements and things. Um, in, in Hinduism, 
I guess there's there's a belief in reincarnation, and in the West, the Pythagoreans had a similar, or maybe the same belief. I guess if you trace it all the way back, it could kind of be rooted in the same thing. Um, so, so the reincarnation idea, yeah, seems to be evoked there at the end of the game, uh, as you're you're challenged to travel back in time to defeat Gigas before it's too late. Um, you have to leave your body behind. Uh, your characters are um, are transferred. Their their minds, their spirits, are transferred into robotic bodies, which can travel back in time. Um, and this is uh, uh, then followed up at the very end, after you defeat Gigas and the robot bodies are lying prone. Um, little spirit orbs emerge from them and and fly back. Oh, there it goes that way. Uh, back to to their bodies in the future, in the present. Um, and so it's a kind of reincarnation. Um, this is also uh, highlighted by, um, by Buzz Buzz from the very start of the game. He points out that he is not a bee, although he's in a machine bee or beetle um, body. And apparently you could understand this as his way of getting through the time travel problem. Um, if he is a human, he has put himself in the body of a bee. And this is just occurring to me now that when Pokey's mom smashes the bee machine, uh, if that's the case, then Buzz Buzz's spirit may well recover itself uh, in, his, in his original body in Buzz Buzz's future. Um, this starts to make my head hurt um, because then you've got to wonder, well, so... Does Buzz Buzz's future um, change as a result of Ness and his friends and the player being successful in their quest to defeat Gigas, um, which is inspired by Buzz Buzz in the first place? So um, then you start to worry about time paradoxes of the kind that uh, the Earthbound Player's Guide warns that it is not going to be responsible for. <laughs> um, anyway, so. Uh, in Buzz Buzz's timeline, perhaps he is also reincarnated in his original body, if he has such a thing. Um, but whether that timeline is rescued uh, as well is a mystery to me. Uh, this was another. I think this is also connected up, actually, with the um, with the idea of the Apple of Enlightenment, right? Because the Apple of Enlightenment uh, is a kind of uh, prophecy machine, according to that text that we read a bit ago. It's, um, it's capable, I guess, of calculating, um, if it's a machine, right, it does some kind of calculation whereby it accesses, let's imagine it this way, like it, it's, it's that thought experiment where you know where every particle in the universe is at a given time and what velocity it's got and, you know, that's impossible, but somehow this machine can do that and can then calculate all of the future movements of all the particles everywhere and so it can tell you the future. Um, that's how I would imagine a prophecy machine working. Uh, that's at one extreme. I guess the other is like a magic eight ball, right? Which is, uh, or, or, or like those fortune tellers that you make out of paper with your friends at school. And, um, and those are just, um, uh, or, or a Ouija board or something like that, right? Uh, those are, are more, uh, uh, reliant on the observer, so to speak, right? Uh, we impart to them a meaning which, uh, in terms of physics, 
they they really ought not uh, deserve, right? So um, anyhow, in some kind of way, the apple of enlightenment is tasked with telling the future, and in some way, that's the um, that's the counterpart to traveling in time, uh, as I understand it. Um, it would be um, a way out of the paradox uh, if if you can if you can tell the future um, for certain, uh, then you don't have to worry too much about um, other timelines, uh, other possibilities, other parallel universes, and so forth, right? Um, and in this case, as in so many cases, it seems like the, uh, the it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, because when Pokey tries to act on it, um, to go against it, and uh, turns off the devil's machine, that makes Gigas vulnerable to your attacks, uh, to your prayers, um, and moves, moves, progresses you towards that foreseen end, um, foretold by the apple of enlightenment. Um, like I said, this uh, really is confusing stuff. I, I don't claim to have a, a final answer on that one, um, but uh, it's it's very interesting. I think that the game. Um, invites you to kind of imagine those possibilities without um, giving very hard and fast answers about what the Apple of Enlightenment really is or how it works or any of that. Um, it's, it's just very evocative, uh, very open to your imagination as the player uh, to think about or, yeah, to sort of not worry about too much. Um, I guess, I think I'm still sharing my screen here. Uh, that's probably kind of weird because you're seeing all this stuff in the background. Um, I did want to read one other really interesting passage that the word enlightenment brings to mind, for me at least. I won't read all of this, it's pretty long. Um, but the term enlightenment, of course, also connotes that period in Western uh, Europe when um, there's a kind of uh, discovery, rediscovery of, of um, human reason and logic, and it is applied um, to all sorts of everyday problems, um, sanitation, uh, history, um, uh, you know, things that had been taken for granted as, as being just the way things are, suddenly people decide they're going to think about and uh, try to improve. And that's the Enlightenment. Um, that's probably not a very good overview. I'm sure Wikipedia will give you a better one if you look it up. But anyway, um, there's, a, there's an essay I guess that's what you call it, um, by a, a major philosopher, Immanuel Kant, very little of whose work I have read, um, but it's called What is Enlightenment? And it's really interesting. So he says, Enlightenment is man's emergence from his self-imposed knowledge. Knowledge is the inability to use one's own understanding without another's guidance. This knowledge is self-imposed if its cause lies not in lack of understanding, but in indecision and lack of courage to use one's own mind without another's guidance. Dare to know, sapere aude. Have the courage to use your own understanding is therefore the motto of the Enlightenment. Laziness and cowardice are the reasons why such a large part of mankind gladly remain minors all their lives, long after nature has freed them from external guidance. 
They are the reasons why it is so easy for others to set themselves up as guardians. It is so comfortable to be a minor. If I have a book that thinks for me, a pastor who acts on my, as my conscious, conscience, a physician who prescribes my diet, and so on, then I have no need to exert myself. I have no need to think, if only I can pay. Others will take care of that disagreeable business for me. Those guardians who have kindly taken supervision upon themselves see to it uh, that the overwhelming majority of mankind, among them the entire fair sex, should consider the step to maturity not only as hard, but as extremely dangerous. First, these guardians make their domestic cattle stupid and carefully prevent the docile creatures from taking a single step without the leading strings to which they have fastened them. Then they show them the danger that would threaten them if they should try to walk by themselves. Now this danger is really not very great. After stumbling a few times, they would at last learn to walk. However, examples of such failures intimidate and generally discourage all further attempts. Um, so, um, he goes on. And there is one more passage towards the end here that I thought would be... Uh, uh, well, okay, so let's read this one first. So it's somewhere in the middle here. This enlightenment requires nothing but freedom and the most innocent of all that may be called freedom, freedom to make public use of one's reason in all matters. Now I hear the cry from all sides. Do not argue, the officer says. Do not argue drill, the tax collector. Do not argue pay, the pastor. Do not argue believe. Only one ruler in the world says, argue as much as you please, but obey. We find restrictions on freedom everywhere, but which restriction is harmful to enlightenment? Which restriction is innocent and which advances enlightenment? I reply, the public use of one's reason must be free at all times, and this alone can bring enlightenment to mankind. Okay, so he has a, a kind of uh, call for, for free speech, I guess. Um, now, towards the bottom here, um, uh, oh man, where is it? There's this, this great, um, oh, there it is, okay. So in the middle of one of the latter paragraphs, um, he has this Latin citation, Kaiser non est supra grammaticos. Caesar is not above grammarians. So how's that for a motto? Um, although the other one is pretty good too, right? Sapere aude, dare to know. Anyway, uh, I just, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a seminal, uh, uh, statement on enlightenment there, um, on yet another uh, valence meaning of that term, um, which is so rich uh, and, and so manifold, which is alluded to, which is evoked by that translation, apple of enlightenment, instead of apple of wisdom. Apple of wisdom sort of makes me think of um, like Zelda games with the Triforce, there's the three triangles, uh, there's the wisdom, the courage, and the power. Right, um, and, and I, I stressed throughout how how um, Buzz Buzz talks about wisdom, friendship, and courage, and that seems to be the kind of uh, triforce that that is at play in Earthbound. Um, and uh, well, I guess that could be a, a topic for another time. But in what sense uh, friendship represents the um, the place that power holds in the world of Zelda? Um, I don't know. Uh, that, could, that could be interesting. But anyhow, um, I don't have more questions coming in right now. I did have a few um, 
in my back pocket from, from earlier in the series. Um, I'd been setting aside the Apple of Enlightenment till the end here, um, and with it a little bit more uh, thinking about time travel. Um, now on those topics, um, another work that I commend to you is um, the, uh, the web page, it's like a web comic um, called Homestuck. Homestuck. It's, uh, it's extremely long. I, I've never got to the end of it. I don't know if there is an end to it or if it's still going. Um, but it's a really interesting story. Uh, it seems to draw on Earthbound to an extent um, in, in some of the humor, at least. It's, it reminded me of it. I don't know if there's some explicit connections there. Um, I believe that the creator of Undertale, who does um, directly reference Earthbound and talks about how formative it was for him, um, he also uh, contributed to this webcomic Homestuck. Um, so, so I believe there is a direct, more or less, Earthbound connection there. But, um, but there's some really interesting stuff about time travel paradoxes, uh, saving the world, all that good stuff. Um, so if you're looking for another work after Earthbound, to check out. That's a good one. Uh, Homestuck. Um, but um, I bring that up partly because uh, a friend of mine, um, Brian, who I'd also wanted to, to have on the show at some point, um, was kind of asking me if I could uh, talk a little bit about what Earthbound is and, and what this podcast is. Um, I guess I never did a very good job of sort of just explaining that to him. Uh, to, to get him on the show, um, but maybe in the future. Um, so, so I'll try that now. And the way that I'll do this, uh, first of all, is by appealing to a, a, a little, I guess it's kind of a poem, or, or it's called a message. Here we go. It's a message from uh, the creator of Earthbound, uh, Shigesato Itoi. And you can find this on the Nintendo website. It's earthbound.nintendo.com slash message. Uh, and I think it's very beautiful, so I'll just read that. So it says, What Earthbound means to me, Shigesato Itoi. What is the video game Earthbound? Even today, it's so hard to answer that question. It was like a group of children taking dolls from a toy chest, old dishes no longer used in the kitchen, nuts and bolts found inside a toolbox, little flowers and leaves from the backyard, and they were all laid down on the carpet with everybody singing made-up songs ready to talk all day about that world they just made. That, I think, was how Earthbound was made. Well, I'm a grown-up too, so I didn't hold back in adding things here and there, like putting more angles here, hiding a secret there, and sometimes slipping in little mean things. Then a whole lot of friends came over to play, and they helped it grow as they were having fun as they pleased. They gave it branches, leaves, and flowers, to what was once a simple story of just root and trunk. For every person that played, there are many iterations of Earthbound. As I met different people on unrelated occasions, they told me, I found out about you by playing Earthbound. This was not only right after the game was out. People were telling me this after it's been out for quite some time. All sorts of people tell me about their memories, about all the things I left in the playground called Earthbound. 
from the tiny safety pins, broken pieces of colored glass, to the withering leaves. When I ask them, how do you remember so much? With their eyes gleaming, they say, I love that world so much, I remember everything about it. I reply right away saying, me too. Aha, that may be it. Maybe I wanted to make a playground. A playground filled with things, no matter how small or unwanted, they would all be kept dear in people's hearts. It looks like all my friends from around the world have discovered the theme to the game as they were playing, even though I didn't think I gave it one. That's right. That's something I also wanted to do all along. I was already a grown-up at the time I was making Earthbound, but now that 30 years have been added to my life, I've grown up even more. I think about things that I didn't back then. Things like, what kind of person do I want to be when I die? I already know the answer to this one. It's someone with a lively wake. The person who passed away has to be in all sorts of different people's memories. What they've done, how stupid they were, what kinds of things they did for fun, and how, that, how kind that person was sometimes. All the people who are still alive are laughing, wanting to be the first one to bring up those things to everyone around them. The life I want to live is something that can be concluded with that kind of a party-like wake. Fame and fortune, setting records and accomplishments are all meaningless. That person is inside those stories that are told, where people talk about their episodes casually and sincerely. Well, it's not dead, and it's not even human, but to me, Earthbound is a game that's kind of like that guy. Now that you'll be able to play Earthbound to your heart's content, I hope you'll play it with someone and create all kinds of great, happy memories. I'm glad that this day has come, and I think everyone who had a part in making this game is very excited too. Thank you for everything. So the note there, on the wake, the Japanese word Mr. Itoi used here is otsuya, similar to a wake. An otsuya is a Japanese tradition where relatives and friends are invited the night before the funeral ceremony to talk about their memories of the departed and to mourn the loss over dinner and drinks, in addition to prayer. So I take it that the occasion for this message must have been when, um, oh, you see the spef is logged in here. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it must have been when Earthbound was finally released for uh, one of the virtual systems consoles, uh, I guess which is um, cool because now you can play it uh, legally without having to go through the rigmarole of trying to get one of the old cartridges. Um, of course, since that time, uh, the SNES Mini has come out, and that's how I've been playing Earthbound over the past several months as I've been working on this, um, this program, uh, this course, or, or, or podcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, um, and if I could really get my, my stuff together, maybe I could figure out how to um, live stream it uh, instead of just weird stuff that happens to be on the computer screen with m me um, here. But but anyhow, um, he starts out by saying it's hard to answer that question. What is the video game Earthbound? Even today it's so hard to answer that question. But the answer he gives I think is really beautiful uh, and rings true to me um, that Earthbound is mostly about memory and um, the transition from being a kid playing games to being an adult playing and creating games and creating, um, sharing ideas about them um, and perhaps, um, you know, seeing how people play with the things that you've created and how much they mean to other people that would bring some kind of further realization to the, to the creator, to Itoi himself. Um, I find all of that really, really interesting um, 
and I don't mean to say that he, as creator, has a particular, necessarily privileged um, understanding of his own creation. Um, I'm sure that there's limitations to his own understanding of what he's made, as for any poet or, or filmmaker for, or any artist. Um, they're not necessarily the, the most trustworthy or, or um, deepest commentator on their own work. Um, the interpretation should be free for anyone playing it, however much or however little they know about what went into making it, the biography of the maker, uh, any of that stuff, right? In some sense, every work of art has got to stand on its own um, and be accessible and speak to anyone coming up to it, um, or else it isn't, it isn't truly great. Um, it, it's somehow contingent. Uh, but, but anyway, um, but I do like his answer a lot and um, how, how kind of poetic and imaginative it is and how it, um, in a sense, represents a little bit of what playing the game feels like. Of course, his voice is so um, big a part of the game as he wrote a lot of the script um, and uh, contributed, of course, tons of the ideas for, for scenes and things like that. Um, but uh, anyhow, um, Brian, I hope that that's the beginning of an answer, at least. Um, of course, what I've been trying to do on this program is, is share a lot of my thoughts about the game as I've played through it, um, reflecting on it, um, trying to encourage and inspire other people to do the same, um, to play the game, of course. Uh, that's the main thing, and you can sort of make up your own mind about it when you do. Um, but it, for now, at least, you can, you can hear some thoughts about it, and maybe it'll be a spark to, to other thoughts um, and, and other experiences and, and uh, other memories. Um, of course, part of this project has been uh, getting in touch with a lot of my friends and family and, and using this as a way to start conversations with them about, about the game, but also about other things that they're interested in these days, about things they think about um, and care about. And um, anyhow, um, yeah, I look forward to, to hearing from you. Uh, and something that uh, my friend Steve, who I did have on the show um, for a conversation, he has mentioned a few times that I should really learn more about uh, Eastern culture and Japanese language in particular um, to, to get a deeper understanding, to really dig into this game. Um, and I agree with that. I, um, I have never uh, had an opportunity to, um, to take a Japanese class, um, although um, I know at my old school where I used to work, um, Aaron uh, has been, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this uh, confession here. I know it's sort of secret. She has a secret Japanese club, okay, uh, at, at our old school, Chandler Prep Academy. There, I've said it, um, or at least she used to. So I guess, I guess if I was really serious about learning Japanese, I, I could have started a long time ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stephanie's laughing at me. But anyway, uh, uh, that, that is something that I do intend to, to try to work on. Um, part of the Legends of Localization project, which is so massive and so impressive um, that, that Clyde Mandolin has, has done, is um, he put out a little booklet um, that teaches you Japanese through uh, items and things in the game. And so uh, first it has the alphabet, and then as you go through the book, you see it spells out the Japanese name of things, and then you can um, you can translate it. You, you can you can learn Japanese 
by playing Earthbound, which I think is really cool um, and something that I'd like to try uh, someday, someday. Um, now, at this point, like I said, I'm trying to wrap up this this project, uh, Bookworm Games. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I feel like I've learned a lot from it, and uh, and I, in some way, it's it's again the, the beginning of a another another project, um, sharing uh, and and to an extent teaching um, video games and and books um, on this format, like uh, podcasts and videos and whatnot. Um, I, I like that maybe there's a way to get people to, to respond in live, uh, in real time here. Um, there's, uh, there's another comment here from Steph. Uh, as you know, I like multiplayer games. I want to see a two-player game in the playground that is earthbound. Do you think such an invention would wreck the magic? Is it possible in the future, even if it's just a fan game or something? So that brings up, yeah, another area that I am really... Um, not very versed in, which is programming, right? So Japanese language is something I would need to learn about. And Steve has also pointed out that to do this properly, I will need a capture card, which is how you like stream games that you play, uh, I guess. And my computer isn't that good, but maybe I can upgrade to do that at some point. Um, and I would want to learn like some programming, yeah. So there's, yes, Steph, there's definitely people out there who um, have made a lot of fan games, I don't know if any of them have a two-player component. Um, I I could be wrong about this, but um, I think that there's things that you can do with a second controller within Earthbound, like the actual game as it is, um, and that might be that might be something I'm mixing up with um, Secret of Mana. But I, I think there's a two-player. I think there's a small two-player component to Earthbound. I, I got to check that. Um, but the way that I think. Earthbound works as a multiplayer game is in the way that reading a book with like a, a, a reading group or a class works, right? Like each individual person reads the book um, as much or as little as they want and can and whatever. But then the class, the group comes together and each person shares their thoughts that they had and what they learned and what they struggled with and their questions, right? And that's the, that's the, the bigger game right, um, happens there. Um, and I think Earthbound certainly works that way, because um, as I've referenced a lot, there's this online community, um, primarily starmen.net, where I've, ac I've accessed a lot of um, uh, notes on the script. They have a full, mostly full, um, transcription of all the text in the game there. They have a lot of images and sound files, and a lot of stuff that fans have made, um, including games. Um, I haven't really explored that area of the site much. Like I said, I, I would want to know more about programming to really appreciate it. And um, and I, I just, uh, I guess I've focused more on other things, right? So far, I haven't spent the time, put in the effort to learn programming. But it is something I'm interested in learning more about. Um, so, um, so I know that um, coming to the end of the time here, um, it's... It's a, a yeah future project certainly um, to to work on programming. I'm interested in the I, in, in the general concept also of adaptation, of uh, of taking a game, adapting it to a a story like a book format, and vice versa. So as I approach um, the Golden Compass, 
part of what I want to be doing with Pullman's story is thinking about how it could be adapted as a video game. And uh, I'll talk a lot more about that. I'll uh, refer to some of the work that uh, Corey Olson, the, the Tolkien professor, has done along those lines in his discussions of The Lord of the Rings and its um, online game version, um, and, uh, and also the um, Peter Jackson films of The Hobbit. He has a long podcast series talking about um, that. And he's currently working on one about um, the possibility of, um, well, it's more, I guess, of an imaginary project at this point of uh, a, a series, a television sort of series, like a Netflix type series on the Silmarillion. Um, so that's that's an interest. That's another interest of his. Another way in which um, I've tried to kind of follow what uh, Dr. Olson has been doing and think about ways to apply it to to other games and other stories and things. So, anyhow, uh, that'll be one of the, the areas that I kind of get into uh, when I when I get to the Golden Compass discussions here in the fall. Um, let's see. Uh, I want to look once more and see if there's some other things that I'd wanted to, to mention. Um, again, uh, a future series after the Golden Compass, I think the next one that I want to do is um, Xenogears, a PlayStation game, another RPG that was really formative for me growing up, uh, a little older than when I played Earthbound, but not a whole lot. Um, so I'm going to kind of try to to alternate back and forth between uh, video games and then books. And that's kind of how I want to go proceed with this um, bookworm games thing. So one thing uh, for anyone out there listening that you might be, that might want to contribute, um, I want to hear uh, ideas for future um, series, future discussions. Uh, what games or what books would you want to hear um, discussed? And would you have questions about want to um, go deeper into in this kind of format. Um, so send me those ideas uh, in the future. I look forward to hearing about those. Um, yep, so this one, Earthbound, Golden Compass next, then Xenogears, uh, continuing with this uh, kind of philosophical discussion of the fall, um, of, of some religious themes, which come out a lot more in each of these games. Uh, sorry, in in the book, Golden Compass, and the games, you know, Gears. Um, yeah, okay. So we touched on a few uh, longer quotes this time. I had one really short one here that I wanted to to share um, that, uh, that comes from the Brothers Karamazov. Um, there's a passage there where um, it's, a, it's a memory from Alyosha's past, and the narrator comments uh, that perhaps... One such memory is the best education. Um, I, I want to kind of uh, continue this conversation about memory um, as well. And as much as I kind of jump from book to book, from game to game, um, I don't want to lose sight of that that sense, that that idea that there is sort of uh, whatever that memory might be, that that is something that each person um, uh, has got at, at the bottom of their education. Um, it's, it's a way in which I guess I would want to 
um, push back against the idea that Pokey is is only evil, right, or, or any any of those villains, um, that there is still hope for them insofar as they have one good memory, uh, no matter how horrible, traumatic the rest of their their life might be. Um, that that is certainly something that I want to explore uh, as a kind of overarching theme through this podcast. Um, uh, one last comment here before we close. It says uh, from Steph again, according to Google, SNES Classic has a mysterious secret two-player for Earthbound. Let's play soon. Yes, let's do. Good find. All right, we'll do that. All right, well, I will close this uh, this final episode, 33. Sci farewell. Um, if I was doing that right, you would see a little uh, gift boxes descending from the sky right now, and I would spin around real fast and disappear in a poof of smoke. Um, but uh, in those boxes, if you open them, you will find letters from your friends and family. Um, so do that, and then you will be able to explore the world freely uh, now that Gigas is defeated. Um, you can always send in more questions and comments, things you love about Earthbound. I'll be glad to hear them um, and respond to them as far as possible. Uh, for now, I'll close with this. This t- is coming from uh, Ness's mom. She says, sometimes when you call her, your teacher stopped by looking for you, but don't worry, I covered for you. Okay, so I hope that I have done an okay job uh, covering for you for now. And uh, in my day job, I'm a substitute teacher. So that's what I'm going to get back to here. Um, but next time, we will be starting the Golden Compass. So I'll look forward to that. Uh, till then, uh, take care. Thanks for tuning in.